Okay, we are in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we'll pick it up from verse 10. James 5, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So in verse 10 and 11, he's exhorting us to patience. He's calling us to patience and He gives us the example of prophets, of what they endured and what they put up with and the time periods in which they worked. If you turn back just a few pages before James, you'll hit Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, this is the classic scripture text on faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith we cannot please God. Without faith we cannot please Him. And it says that whoever comes to God must believe that He is, but that is insufficient in itself. To just believe in God is insufficient. He says, in order to please God, we have to believe, yes, believe in Him, but we also have to believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. So there is a reward if we seek God. And the reward is rarely immediate. There is a reward if we seek God. And as you read through this chapter, the whole chapter is on men and women of faith. As it goes through and it lists these people of faith people who had faith, and it talks about it in the context of when promises were given and then rewards were given. And there was often a huge disparity between the time it's given and the time the reward is received. For example, it goes, talks about Abraham from the time that, that he was promised a son to the time he got a son was many years And then the times the promises were given. And then, so if you look in verse 20 of Hebrews 11, it says, for example, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding the things to come. So here is Isaac blessing his children, knowing that one day God is going to make a great nation out of them. But Isaac himself was never even going to see it with his own eyes. He had to receive that by faith. And then, in verse 21, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So again, here is a man that is committing to God. There is a time period, and it's not immediate, between believing God and often seeing the manifestation of these blessings. And sometimes in this life, we don't even see it. So, for example, it says in... In verse 35 of that same chapter, women received back their dead by resurrection and the others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. 
they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So it's saying that promises were made to people that were fulfilled many years later in the coming of Jesus. Now let me bring this back to us today and what this means for us today. God gives promises. He gives promises in His Word that if we obey Him, if we seek Him, there is great blessing. And very often we want to hurry past these things. And in that, we show a lack of faith And in showing a lack of faith, it says it is impossible to please Him, and we lose out on reward. I'll give you a common one. A common one is this, that young couples don't want to wait before they live together, and they'll live together before marriage. They'll say, well, we're getting married anyway, we hope. And what happens is, when moral standards are lowered before marriage, it's easier for them to be relaxed in marriage as well. And what do I mean? So when moral standards are lowered before marriage, then in marriage, these same standards that had been lowered remain lowered, and men and women are more apt to fall into adultery. This happens many, many times. I've seen it many times over. And the feeling often for young women is, well, I want this guy, and if I don't move in with him, I'm afraid I will lose him. If you will lose him because you maintain moral standards, you want to lose him. He is not worth keeping. And men, in the scriptures, if you look, for example, in the Song of Solomon in the scriptures, what will happen is that you will see that um, very often it is the man who was to be the leader in this. It was the man who was to say, no, we shall not do this type of thing before marriage. Man was to be the leader in it. So there are things that God calls us to that we are to wait upon. And that's what he's talking about in James, that we endure. And this is actually the first reference and the only reference to Job specifically in the New Testament, where, there's an exact, where his name is actually mentioned here. And so we we have this this authentication of Job here. And again, you can see in James that he is speaking to a Jewish audience. Because it would make no sense to take a non-Jewish audience who was not familiar with the Old Testament and start talking about Job. Because there's no context for this. And and, uh, uh, so again, we see that he's speaking to a Jewish audience. Now in verse 12... Let's pick up on this, uh, um, start reading at verse 12. But above all, brethren, this is in James chapter 5, verse 12. But above, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall under judgment. So what he's talking about here is having extreme honesty because there had been a tradition in Israel that... You didn't have to keep your word unless you had sworn by the throne of God. Then you were bound to keep your word. So it was a way of getting out of it. And what he's saying is, no, that you can't do that. Let your word be your word. 
So in other words, it would be akin to our saying, well, yeah, I told them that I would do that, but I didn't promise. And the Bible is saying, no, you're to be authentic to your word. Your word means something. And it's interesting, in verse 12 he says, but above all my brethren. So again, he's talking to his brothers in Christ, and he says, above all. That's the most important thing I'm telling you, and all of this is this. Be honest about your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's not that you have to to make an oath and then in that oath, then you're bound. So if a person says, well, I'll be honest with you. I assume you're going to be honest with me even if you don't say, I'll be honest with you. The assumption is there. And God assumes the same thing. You know, I, I, I was, there was this uh, football coach that had been given this contract. And the day after he got the contract, he signed a contract with a different university. And I was talking about this with my son. And my son says, well, that's just the way football is. It's understood. And I said, no, that cannot be the way it is. A man's word is his word. If he says something that he's going to do something, that's it. A man's word is his word. It, does, it doesn't matter if it's football. It doesn't say, uh, but above all things, except in football, my brethren. You know, but we, we put ourselves in sort of context where we feel that we can tell a lie. And the Bible says you don't have to take an oath. You know, in, in, in some religions they'll say, you know, you put your hand on the holy book and then you're bound. No, you're bound whether you put your hand on a book or not. You're bound. Your word is your word. So this is not saying you shall never take an oath. It's saying that whether you take the oath or not, there is something binding there in your word. And I'll tell you, I feel a tremendous burden in my marriage because of the oath that I took. Because my word is my word. And if your word is not your word, whether you take an oath or not, it doesn't matter. You see what I mean? But when I got married, I made a promise To Shireen, I made a promise to God. And I have to keep that promise. And it's like people will flippantly walk into this thing and make a promise and it doesn't matter anymore. Don't you remember the promise that you made to God? There's a promise involved here. So So our word should be our word. And what the Bible is calling us to, above all things in this whole book, James says the most important thing is this. Keep your word. Keep your word. You will go so far in business if you keep your word. In fact, people are very good readers of faces. They can tell when somebody's lying very often. And what we do is we try to push that thought back down, hoping that this person is being honest with us. But if you live in honesty and integrity, when you go to speak places, people will know this is an honest person. And they're drawn to you because of your honesty. This is an important quality, and James says this is the most important thing. Now let's read on in verse 13, James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, 
And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Okay, so in verse 13 it says, Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Again, this is an imperative. It is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. If we are suffering, the Bible says, we must pray. Prayer is the thing that we should do when we suffer. Now, there may be other things that we do. But we start this with prayer. The Bible commands us to pray when we suffer. It says, Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. So, in other words, if we're happy in the Lord, the Bible says, give praise to God. This is what we are commanded to do. Then he talks about sickness. He says in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? So let me go over a few reasons why sickness occurs in life. Reason number one, human frailty. Humans just get old and they eventually die. This just happens. And you will hear, you will hear some Christians talk about how, uh, you know, if you have faith you should never get sick. Now I know that sounds odd to you, that some people would say that. But believe me, you will meet all sorts of Christians throughout your Christian life. And some will claim this sort of thing. If you really have faith, you shouldn't get sick. Well, human frailty happens, and generally people who say that are quite young. As they get older, things will begin to happen because it's like a car, you know, the thing begins to wear out. And you go to the seniors class, and and, uh, uh, I'll tell you, those people have a ton of faith. They've lived through so much, and they have a ton of faith. But there's human frailty. And so people get sick just because of human frailty. Things get old. Another reason that there's sickness, we live in a fallen world. Sin has come into the world. Death came to Adam and to the entire race. I have had people even sit with me and tell me that they would never die physically. Now, I believe the words of Jesus when he says, He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because he's talking about our life eternal with him. But this guy really looked at me. I said, you're never going to die physically. He said, nope. I mean, the guy is a kook. Really. That's what he is. And, and you'll meet folks like that in your Christian lives. I just warn you about them. And just remember what I told you and just smile and walk away. But we live in a fallen world. And because of that, how else do you explain a child who's born autistic? You know, how, how do you explain that? Or, chi- or, or, or things happen in life. I mean, sometimes you step out off the curb at the wrong time. I mean, things happen. We live in a fallen world. And sicknesses come. Sicknesses do come. Because human frailty and we live in a fallen world. But there are other specific reasons as well that the Scriptures outline. One reason is that the sickness is unto death. In other words, God is saying, His time is up. Her time is up. The sickness is unto death. The Scriptures use that word. If you turn back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. 
Jesus used that very terminology. And we're going to read from verse 4. John 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. So here he's about... So, so it's, he was told in verse 3, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Lazarus was sick. And Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death. And remember, then Lazarus gets more sick and he dies, but Jesus refers to it as, as sleep. Because in the New Testament, God often referred to the death of the believer as sleep. Meaning that he would rise again. And Jesus referred to it as sleep because in verse 11, then he said, after they said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I say, but, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, we, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Lazarus finally died. But Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death knowing that he was going to raise him up again. Sometimes sickness is unto death. People grow old and they die sometimes. And you can pray all you want and people die. And so this feeling that, well, if we had enough faith, he or she would not have died. That's nonsense. If that's the case, go take that faith to the hospital. And start going through from room to room. You'll have the biggest church after one day. I guarantee everybody would want to come to your church. Sometimes sickness is unto death. God is calling people home. This terminology is used in other, in other places. In, in, in John chapter 9, John chapter 9, reading from verse 1, you can see this, this same kind of terminology. Uh, we'll, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back. Let me point out one thing in, in John chapter 11 again. John chapter 11, in verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. So sometimes sickness is for the glory of God. God is going to do a work and raise the person up and be glorified in it. So sometimes, and that's what was happening with Lazarus. God was going to manifest his glory. So looking back in uh, John chapter 9 now. John chapter 9, reading from verse 1. And he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be, might be displayed in him. So in other words, Jesus is about to take this man who was born blind and pray for him, and he was going to see. This was going to be a manifestation of God. So sometimes people are sick and God manifests His healing touch upon them. He'll do that. He'll manifest His healing touch upon them. And so the sickness was for the glory of God. This happens sometimes. This is one of the reasons why people get sick. Sometimes the sickness is unto death. Sometimes it's going to be there for the glory of God. And Jesus ended up praying for this man and he got healed. Sometimes sickness comes... To maintain humility. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's an example of that with Paul. Paul had some thorn in the flesh because of a great revelation that he had experienced. I'm sorry, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Second Corinthians chapter twelve. <coughs> yes, yeah, so in verse twelve, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse one. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. Profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, now, let me put this in context. Paul is making a defense for his apostleship because people were questioning his apostleship. In verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know or out of body I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on, a, on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my own weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So what happened was Paul was taken up into this third heaven, into paradise, and Paul himself said Jesus Christ himself taught Paul. The resurrected Lord taught Paul these things. Paul didn't learn these things. Paul has said he didn't learn these things from other men. He learned it from Jesus Christ himself. Now in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul says, something was given to me, a thorn in my flesh. The flesh speaks of the earthly body. Something was given to him to keep him from exalting himself. He said, God, three times he asked God to free him from this, and God said, no. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You can live with this. But it was something that was there to keep Paul from exalting himself. And I'll tell you, there are things that can happen in our lives that can make us full of ourselves. And God allows certain things to come in that humble us. You know, a lot of times it's it's small things where we just really put our foot in our mouths and we make ourselves look really rather silly. And then God reminds us of our humanity. We go, you know, we back off from judging people as much. But in Paul's case, he got sick and he had this thorn in the flesh. And some people had speculated that it was his eyes that he couldn't see well. And that's because he says, don't you see how large writing I'm using for you or or, or the lettering? We don't really know what the thorn was, but he had a thorn. But that is another reason for sickness. Now, finally... Getting back to the reason for sickness, in this particular verse in James, it has to do with a sickness as a result of sin. And there are several scriptures on this, but let's just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I talk about a lot when we take the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. 
This is in the context of taking the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So, what he's saying is, that when we take the Lord's Supper, we are to examine ourselves. And so, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Many people will refrain from taking the Lord's Supper. Now, unbelievers should refrain from taking the Lord's Supper. Because they don't know the Lord. But believers should not refrain. They should take the Lord's Supper because it says, let him examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Just to say, well, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm you know, ready for this. Or I don't think I'm in a right state of mind. That's not an excuse. The Bible says, get in a right state of mind. That's exactly what it's for, so that you don't have to carry this burden through the week or through the months or through the years until you feel in a right state of mind. The Bible says, deal with it. How do you deal with it? Examine yourself. Say, Lord, is there any sin in me that I've not confessed to you that I need to deal with? And the Lord is very good at reminding us. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to you know, dig very deep. The Holy Spirit will point out, and then you just say, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me. And you're ready. And if it involves another person, say, Lord, I commit to deal with this. And then so commit to deal with it. So that the next week you can say, Lord, I dealt with what I had to deal with this day. This is what he's calling us to. He says, because people take of the Lord's Supper without dealing with these things, some are weak, some are sick, and a number sleep. Remember the term sleep is death for the believer. So we can bring weakness, spiritually weak, so that you're very timid. Because what does sin do? Sin makes us timid in a spiritual sense. Here was Adam naming all the animals boldly. Then he commits a sin and he has to cover himself with, with a bunch of leaves. And he's hiding from the Lord. Sin makes us timid. You will be bold in the Lord if you learn to deal with your sin. And so he says, for this reason, many are weak and sick. You can bring sickness on yourself because of sin. David talked about this. He says, my bones ached within me while I held this within. And because of this, the number sleep. You can even bring death on yourself because of sin. So here's an example of it. So you deal with it. So just by saying, well, I'm not going to partake, imagine what the penalty for that would be. Okay, so let's turn back over to James, James chapter, chapter 5. So we have all these different reasons the sickness can come, from human frailty, from a fallen world, from a sickness being unto death, God is calling us home, for a sickness to the glory of God, sickness for, for maintaining humility, or sickness as a result of sin. And that's what this particular thing is dealing with. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what are we supposed to do? We're sick. We call for the elders of the church. So it doesn't say, you know, bring them to the local healer. 
They're having a healing ministry. That's okay. You can do that too. But the specific command is that we call for the elders of the church. Everything gets back to the local church. This is why it's important to understand the importance of the local church. You, you want to be, you say, well, I, I get my feeding off of, uh, you know, MP3s and CDs and off of TV. That's not your local church. You can get plenty of feeding off of that, but we're to have a local church. Or who's the elders you call on? You call the, you know, John Piper from, from your MP3 player to come and pray for you? No, you have a local church. The elders, because there was always a plurality of elders... And you call for them. And the sense is that if they can come over your house, they're even supposed to come. When we've had sicknesses in our families, we've called the elders of the church. When my child was sick and in a hospital, we called the elders of the church and they came. When my son was, was uh, 18 and he had a sickness, I said, it's up to you, man. You want to walk in the Word of God or not? Here's what it says to do. And he called the elders of the church and he went and they anointed him with oil and they prayed over him. And it was the same for one of my daughters. She was sick at some point. I said, you know, you're, you're a big girl now. You go to a church there, you learn to do what the Bible tells you to do. Call the elders of the church. And in both cases, they were healed. It says, is anyone among you sick? Then he must... He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so the elders are commanded to anoint him with oil and to pray over him. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. There is an absolute guarantee of healing in this particular case. When the sin, when it is sin that has caused the sickness, when the elders anoint with oil and pray over the individual, and the individual then remembers some sin and confesses it to the elders, in that particular case, healing is absolutely guaranteed. There is nothing in here that says, well, and if they're not, then something else. But this does not guarantee healing in the case where it happens to be because of human frailty or a fallen world or sickness unto death or sickness for the glory of God or sickness for maintaining humility. God may heal. He might in those cases. But the absolute guarantee comes in the context of there being sin that has brought about this healing. Do you see what I mean? Because if you take this, that if the elders of the church pray... You will therefore then be absolutely healed. You will be terribly saddened in life. Because you will see many instances where the elders of the church could pray. They don't know that it's a result of sin or not. I was, a, a friend of mine just called me that he has an inoperable brain tumor. So I, you know, I, I prayed with him on the phone and I said, Man, you've got you to call the elders of the church and have them pray over you. And I read him this portion. And he absolutely did that. He didn't know if it's a result of sin. I don't know if it's a result of sin. But just in case, there will be an absolute healing. It certainly can't hurt to have the elders pray over you. Because God may answer in spite of that. But if it has to do with sin, then he absolutely will heal because of the context of this. 
Because it says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Will restore. It doesn't say maybe. And so he came with his wife and his family and the elders of the church were there and they anointed them with oil and they, and they prayed. And then I reminded him, I said, you know, you need to search your heart. This is kind of a... You know, all the elders were afraid to say this thing. You know, they, they read... They, they, on their own, they opened this portion and they read it. And they said, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And they read up to verse 14 and stopped. Then when they got done praying, I said, give me your Bible. I want to read you the rest of the verse. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. And I reminded my friend, is there anything there that you need to confess to God? Now that's, you know, it looks kind of hard because I'm presupposing that there's sin. No, I'm not presupposing, just in case. You see what I mean? It would have been wrong of me to truncate the Word of God. Even though it was unpleasant. You know, sometimes the easier thing is not to speak up. And then afterward, the elders came up to me and said, thank you for sharing that. They wanted to say the same thing. But, you know, with his wife there, with his kids there, how can you tell the guy, you know, if there's sin? I don't know, maybe there is sin. We all sin. Maybe there's something to deal with. In that case, that case alone, there's absolute healing. If it was a result of sin, and he has confessed that. But I told him he's not going to have to dig far if it is a result of sin. I don't know, maybe he was living in adultery. I don't know. I don't think he was. But I told him, I said, as you analyze this, you call these elders if something comes up. And then his wife told me, he says, oh no, we have dealt with some things. Since this came up with my husband, you know, we had a family member that we had not forgiven and we went back and forgave that person. Now, whether that sin was the root cause of this in the man, I don't know. But if it was the cause of this, then he's healed. You see what I'm saying? But we have to take the Word of God in its context. But to say that absolutely if elders anoint a person with oil and that person confesses all the sins they can remember that they will absolutely be healed, you'll be saddened in life because you'll see a lot of people around you not get better. We have to take the Word of God in its context. And some people say, oh, I lack faith. No, I'm just trying to be true to what the Word of God says. In the context of sin being the problem that has caused this sickness, then there's an absolute guarantee of healing. In other cases, the Lord might heal. In other cases, He might not because He might say, enough. I want that person up here with me. You've had them long enough. You know, you have to learn how to share. It's their time to be with me. Sometimes he calls people home. Sometimes, you know, the person's 104. And you want them to live on. But God's calling them home. Because their sickness now is unto death. Sometimes these things happen. There are different reasons for sickness. This has a particular context and a particular place. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the Word of God, for the truth of Your Word, which calls us to something much greater. Father, I thank You for the Word of God, which is, which is true, which calls us to be honest with our words, to let our yes be yes and our no be no to be honest with what we say, to be patient in realizing that there is a reward in seeking You. 
And this reward may not even come in this life. Nonetheless, you call us to faith and to patience. And Father, help us to understand your word. Your word in relation to sickness. Your word in relation to why these things come. Father, I pray for your grace to be upon us. To understand your word and to walk in it. And Father, I give this to you and I give these young people to you. And Father, please build them up in the truth of your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.